Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hello and welcome to This Ends at Prom. You are joining us today on a, on a late night before millions of people are going to irresponsibly return back home to their families just to eat turkey and pretend about genocide. I'm very excited for them. I guess. I mean, they're probably going to be super spreader events and COVID's going to go up and we're going to be trapped in this nightmare forever, but it, we're not doing it's that. It's fine. We're all going to die. I accept it. Yeah, we've, we've been there. We're not doing that. We're having Thanksgiving pizza that I'm pretty stoked about. Yeah, I get to make a, like a 40-minute pilgrimage to go buy that tomorrow. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's, it's, only, it's only fair. So if you are joining us, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is BJ Colangelo, and across from me in this very pink bedroom and, you know, a lot of dry heat from the heater because it's fucking cold here it's an old building but who are you oh i'm, I'm harmony colangelo hi hi it's great to see you i've yeah. seen you all day yeah fancy meeting you here i know come in here this, often in this house that we're quarantined together in yeah it's beautiful this is just a house of farts and pheromones at this point you're welcome but today my friends we are not alone like we normally are today we are joined by writer podcaster horror raconteur, and survivor of Freddy's Nightmares. We have producer Brennan Klein with us today. Hi, Brennan. Hello, hello, hello. And you're, you're getting what's left of me after Freddy's Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> Do we just have to like scrape you up off the road in little pieces and just like put you together and hope that something can exist? Yeah, much in the way that Freddy's Nightmares was created, actually. That's how they produced it. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's just kind of like the leftover film and just, ugh, we'll make something out it, of this. It's like the scraps that they scoop off of, like, the butcher floor, and that's how they make, like, hot dogs? <laughs> I Yeah, exactly. I mean, but... So, so you're a hot dog. But the end product of a hot dog is more delicious. Oh, absolutely. That's very true. And I have fortunately uh, turned Harmony on to the glory that is Vienna beef hot dogs. It is a Chicago staple. And did I scream with a mask on in the middle of a Target? You've got to be fucking kidding me uh, when I saw that they had them here in Cleveland. Yes, yes, I did. I mean, they're pretty fucking good, and I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm a little ruined for hot dogs forever now. As, as a West Coaster, I can only give the thumbs up and say congrats i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) 
they they are a Midwest delicacy. And it's occasionally, in, in times that I've been in Los Angeles, I've seen like little stands on the side of the road with the Vienna beef sign on it. And I'm like, mm, that's the jam. That's the jam. <laughs> so you'll find them eventually. But regardless, we have a wonderful guest who has brought us a wonderful movie. So Brennan, what movie have you brought today? We are here to talk about the movie Easy A from, I guess I should know when it came out, 2010, right? Yeah, it's uh, celebrating its 10th birthday this year. Oh, just like me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the movie that made Emma Stone, the movie that continued Penn Badgley. Correct. (laughs) Among many other people. So what is it about EZA that you were like, yep, this is is the one, this is the one we're talking about? Well, a couple reasons. I mean, first of all, EZA is my high school movie. I went to high school from, what, like, 09 to 2012, so it kind of hit smack dab in the middle of that, and we didn't really have one before Easy A. Like, I'd say the last great high school movie before Easy A was Mean Girls, which was Mm -hmm. the movie that, Mm -hmm. well, personally, I I hadn't seen it until college, because it's like, what was I doing? I wasn't going to watch movies from 2004 in my freshman year of high school, excuse me? (laughs) Ancient. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think 2004, no, 2004 was not my freshman year of high school, it was 2005. 2004 was my freshman year in high school, and I saw Mean Girls in the theaters with my mom. Aww. It was a mother-daughter date, and we had a fucking blast. Well, yeah, as you would, because it is a great movie, as I know mm-hmm. now. Well, because you have a cool mom. That's true. Not a, a cool regular mom. mom. Not a regular mom. She's a cool mom. See, a quote that I would have known in high school, because people would nonstop quote Mean Girls... But that because that's the last high school landmark that we had until Easy A came along. And Easy A was kind of this big explosive thing where it's like, oh, wait, we can have a high school movie that is for us. Excuse me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but also really specifically, most high school movies take place in kind of, you know, any town America. You've got the hallways lined with lockers and you've got like this, you know, three story indoor building with people running around the halls. That's not my high school experience. I grew up in Southern California. All of our schools are like the school that you see in EZA. They're all the open plan. There is, you know, in order to get from room to room, you have to step outside. Like, there's no hallway. And that was the first movie I saw that actually represented the kind of environment that I was in at the time, too. That's always so fascinating to me because, obviously we're midwestern kids so we have things like you know winter with snow we have things like every teen movie ever yeah so mm-hmm. i mean i'm from the same you know district of john hughes movies like i think we might have talked about this in 16 candles probably not but i remember when i was competing in speech team and we ended up at the high school where the breakfast club was filmed And that was one of like the holding areas for us. So we all walked in the library and it like sort of looks the same, but some of it's obviously been greatly updated. But the there's like signs everywhere that's like, "Mm, the breakfast club was shot here, (laughs) which is like kind of fucking cool. But at the same time, it's like I've always seen my high school. So what a great experience for you to get with EZA. Yeah, absolutely. And because, yeah, I mean, the the geography of the Southern California High School is a truly, well, and also this one's set in Ojai, which is not Southern California, but let's say California in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unique because it is a architecture style created for a place where there is no weather. <laughs> um, so on, you know, 360 days out of the year, 
you can get away with just wandering around outside and not having your kids come in drenched. <laughs> um, oh, like, what a dream. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to live here. Um, we, we have freezing rain here today. Yeah, the, we, there was a moment today we were sitting and I like was like, hey, you need to pause the TV. What the fuck is that? And I go, babe, that's, that's probably hail. And then I look outside and I was like, ah, yeah, it is. It's just, you know, being pelted with ice by nature. That sounds really exhilarating, and I'm happy to be over here. <laughs> There's a meme I see a lot that's like, why do I live somewhere where the air hurts in my face? <laughs> it's because Ohioans, and I assume to some degree Chicagoans, we live places where the weather is uh, consistently unpleasant, but non-lethal. That's true. The closest we get is tornadoes, and like Cleveland does not get tornadoes. Yeah, y'all got earthquakes. And that's well, some scary shit. Well, see, and that's the other thing. That's why all of our schools are really flat and spread out. There, most of our schools don't have multiple stories. Everything's just one story, like bungalows, basically. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I never actually thought about it in that regard. I always thought like, oh, well, it's nice nature. So like, why would you want to do anything other than let kids go outside? That sounds great. But then it's like, oh, wait, no, that we don't want stories upon stories to fall on top of children heaven forbid there's an earthquake at school that makes a lot of sense so thank you for making that connection for me i feel smarter now yeah you're totally welcome (laughs) so harmony before um before this podcast what was your knowledge introduction anything to do with easy a so this is actually a very fun one because i saw easy a like fresh and new like i saw this like the week it came out on dvd And uh, I actually have a very interesting story about when I first saw this, because it was like maybe a week, maybe two weeks, like very fresh in like late December, I think is when it came out um, on DVD. So I rented it uh, for New Year's Eve Mm -hmm. of what I guess would have been 2010 that I was spending at home alone at my mom's house because everyone else went and did other things. And I... uh, didn't have friends to do things with. So I rented Easy A in a double feature with the Expendables. You're just going alphabetically, huh? Uh, I mean, that wasn't the plan. They were just both uh, new at the time. And I was like, oh, both these seem fun and didn't put more thought into it. Who programmed this? Uh, me, clearly, someone who was going through a very polarizing gender issues in 2010. And uh, I have to say, I was very disappointed by The Expendables, not by Easy A. Well, look at that. And now, and guess what? You're a woman. So Emma Stone did her job. There's a metaphor in there for me <laughs> re- rejecting masculinity or something, I'm sure. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I saw Easy A my sophomore year of college, and I don't know if we've discussed her yet on the podcast, but sophomore year BJ is um, kind of infamous. Oh, yeah. You uh, you bring up a whole... My favorite line about sophomore year BJ is whenever we will listen to, you know, maybe that's like 10 years old-ish, you go, mm, I did some filthy things to this in, in college. <laughs> yeah, sophomore year BJ... Um, can best be described like Olive's mom in that like oh I was, a, I was a bit of a slut and I was dealing with uh <laughs> dealing with a lot of that but I was like a very confident slut 
Um, so when this movie came out, a bunch of my friends saw it at the theater and then they came back and they were like, so I saw a movie you're in. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, easy A, you should go see it. And I remember coming out of the theater and I was like, number one, I love this movie. Number two, I actually have sex. I am not that character. And they're like, all right, fuck you. But, uh, that was my experience with easy A and I loved it. I loved Easy A. Um, so let's let's dive in. Let's talk about our, our leading lady. Let's talk about Olive. Pretty cutting edge stuff, huh? A high school girl feeling anonymous. Who am I? What does it all mean? Why am I here? Blah. But don't worry. This isn't one of those tales. Though it sure started out that way. And then it changed pretty quickly when I started lying about some very personal things. So... Let the record show that I, Olive Pendergast, being of sound mind and, hello, average breast size, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, starting now. And what better way to share my private thoughts than to broadcast them on the internet? So, Brennan, what are your thoughts on Olive? I love Olive so much. (laughs) Um, I think this is the perfect character for you know bringing emma stone to to us <laughs> for mm-hmm. delivering her from on high um i think she is you know the okay look when at first when she's you know like oh the nerdy girl no one would ever notice me i might as well be wearing a paper bag it's like okay you know we'll see about that you are emma stone but right. <laughs> <laughs> i think that's just like teen movies in general though it's like the she has a ponytail uh atrocious and it's like emma stone has bangs oh no oh yeah it's just and well the thing like emma stone's kind of boundless charisma that she has in this movie like there's absolutely no transition between who she is at the beginning of the movie or and well her her vibe at the beginning of the movie both in behavior and kind of look other than kind of her she does do a makeover but beforehand she's still dressed trendy and looks really cool oh yeah she's uh-huh. definitely rocking like the camisole as a as a shirt with like the little drapey thing over the shoulders that was you know oh so 2010 mm-hmm. oh yeah but but the the spiky intelligent like kind of ashamed of her intelligence in public but also not really like that there's a very interesting combination here of like vulnerable sweetness but also like really really quick-witted sharp sarcastic um i don't know i i I can't come up with the word right now (laughs) but it's it's a really layered performance that is it, it speaks to I don't know who who Emma Stone would become like all everything that she's capable of. Oh yeah, this is we were talking about this earlier off mic about how this movie lives and dies by its lead lead performance and she just blows it out of the park. She's so good in this movie. Because she's funny and she's endearing and she's very personable. Like she, you immediately empathize with her, even during the moments that, um, I mean, we'll dive into it a little bit later, even the moments that I think like didn't age like the best in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. I still can kind of look past a little bit of it. Like I acknowledge that it's there, but I'm like, oh, but you're so great. And I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I get why you're making these decisions. Yeah. And um, sorry, what? No, as I say, you keep going, keep going. Oh, it's just, well, because the thing that's interesting is that like she has an acid tongue, like a Kevin Williamson teen, but she's not disaffected. 
Like you really get brought in on her emotional journey. Like she's not checked out like most of, you know, the teens in Scream. Like they really don't care about the lives that they're living. I think that she she kind of exemplifies like if Daria wasn't a drag to be around. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know. If she had more vocal inflection. (laughs) Yeah, like she's like non-deadpan Daria. Like if you take the script of Daria and don't change any of the words, but just add like a little bit of like blah to it, like I think you get something kind of in the in the realm of Olive. If if you remove the Diablo Cody isms of Juno, you're on this path. Like that's the direction we're headed with Olive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Olive is the girl that I think. Even though she's presented as kind of like, oh, the invisible girl or whatever. I think everybody watches EZA and they're like, I have a friend like Olive. Or I am like Olive. Like, I think this is one of the first times where we're really seeing a character that gets to be kind of quirky, but not like twee quirky. Like, this isn't like Zoe Deschanel quirky. It's just kind of like, hey, I don't really fit into like one archetype. I'm kind of all over the place, which that's how human beings actually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very refreshing to see somebody who, yes, has this like really sharp wit and like great sense of humor, but is incredibly smart and is also like very unafraid to act kind of like a weirdo, but then is also like super nostalgic for 80s movies. And, you know, she, she's got a lot going on. She's a parfait. She's an onion. She's got layers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I really, really love Emma Stone. And the thing is, I went into this movie based purely on the faith of her as an actress. I think I'd seen like the trailer for this like once. But prior to this, she'd done like super bad and she's really likable in that and cute. And then she did like Zombieland and The House Bunny and all these other movies that I was really... Uh, and not so much super bad because I think that movie was really overhyped at the time. But the other two, I was like, oh, these are great movies. And I am so excited to see her as a star. Mm-hmm. And just like, yes, she kills it. It's it's so, this is who I kind of wish I was in high school, minus the grades because I didn't give a shit. <laughs> but like, I wanted to have this kind of confidence, but also not be confident about it. <laughs> I wanted to be smooth, but extremely awkward. Yes. <laughs> And Olive is aspirational. Like, I think the mark of most of the best teen movies are when the characters are written exactly as smart as all teenagers think they are. Uh Yes. Oh, God, yeah. I think that that's... And she even has, like, a line about that when um, they do, like, the flashback to her playing Seven Minutes in Heaven when she's, like, 12 or whatever, where she says something about how she's not as smart or she doesn't... She's not as smart as she sounds or she's just as smart as she thinks she is or whatever the exact line is. So, like, she's even aware of it, too, which I think is a very, like, 2010s thing is now we're all becoming, like, extremely self-aware of how we're being presented into the world because, you know, social media is a thing now and Mm -hmm. the internet's a thing now. Um, So now we're just, I think we start becoming innately aware of not just who we are, but how others are perceiving us. That's a really good point. And that's, you know, entirely what this movie's about. Oh, God, yeah. So I want to, we're going to talk about Olive a lot because she's, she's great. Um, I do want to talk about Dan Bird and talk about Brandon um, because he kind of is the catalyst for, for a lot of things in here. So how do we feel about Brandon? 
a little more complicated than I would have been in 2010. (laughs) Agreed completely, 100%. Um, Go with that because I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I mean, look, in, in 2010, we were so starved for any sort of gay character. And he's actually like a pretty reasonably characterized character. Um, Mm -hmm. he's obviously, he's not a just Jack caricature, um, but he's also not that kind of repellent reverse caricature where it's like, gay guys can like sports and we're just like straight men and we're cool because Mm of that. Mm -hmm. Um, it is just Dan Bird doing a Dan Bird performance, which is totally (laughs) adequate. (laughs) Um, but I mean, I, I really like their interactions in the sense of like anything that goes on in the room when they're faking having sex i really really enjoy this guy he's gay no don't stop oh don't stop i'm not gonna stop i'm not gonna stop now you try i'm gonna turn you around take you from the back oh yeah that's not gonna make people think you're straight never mind that gayness because i'm a straight guy roar I really enjoyed his kind of monologue that leads her to helping him pretend to be straight. That's his strongest moment in the whole film. Oh I yeah. Think. Well, I mean, he disappears after like the first third. Oh yeah. Yeah. For oh, oh, reasons. <laughs> yeah. That's the part that really is like kind of right in the line for me. <laughs> the kind of where he ends up. Yeah. You mean getting a, <laughs> uh, a hunky black boyfriend and then they sit down and watch Tom Sawyer together. Huck Finn. Huck Finn, whatever. Yeah. The worst one. <laughs> I was like, this, this is a choice. <laughs> it's one of those moments where it's like, this movie has so many great things going for it, but then every once in a while you're like, oh, this was written by white men. Holy shit. <laughs> because the thing is, we forgot to do our synopsis from Frandango, but I, I assume that um, everybody knows what easy is about at this point but you know it's it's the allegory for the scarlet letter there's a lot of like literature stuff going on here so i guess they maybe they thought they were being cute to do the allegory for huck finn i i don't know what they were thinking we're repurposing it it's gay now i guess i guess sure uh, okay i don't know if we get to decide if we can reclaim huck finn but... yeah it, and just the 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 all the almost literal objectification of the like sole black character in the movie it's like oh he's not gonna talk and he's just gonna be a throwaway joke well because the only black characters in it is the throwaway joke and then the adopted little brother and, oh yes okay yeah. and don't get me wrong um i the exchanges between like stanley tucci and the little brother um i think like they're very good-hearted and i don't think that they're necessarily like harmful jokes then again i also don't get to decide what's harmful but i've been reading a lot of reviews from um black critics who have been doing sort of like um reprisals of the film after 10 years and they all pretty much say the same thing which is like these are very cute jokes they don't like they're not harmful but that entire character is pretty much defined by being the black adopted kid so you're defining that character by his blackness and like that's a problem and i agree with that (laughs) um so yeah that's a that's one of the, I think, one of the strikes against EZA that makes, I think, makes its legacy a little bit, um, a little bit complicated because there's so much in it that I think they're doing right. And then there's some stuff that they missed the mark on. But like you were saying, in 2010, it's so hard to explain that, like, even 10 years ago was another fucking universe. Mm-hmm. 
We've had this oh, discussion. Yeah. Uh, BJ and I have been talking about this a lot lately because uh, there was a, a brief period of time where she was on TikTok and then went, no, I don't want to be on TikTok. Same. And there, they, <laughs> and uh, we've just had conversations about how it's like, man, there's people who are like 15 who just do not realize what things were like 10 years ago. They have no concept of how just radically different things are mm-hmm. because of just the, how fast the internet age works and how intense social media has like changed how information is swapped amongst people. And it's... I guess just how different everything is. And yet I think this movie for the most part is held up really, really nicely as opposed to the uh, John Hughes films that it's clearly like referencing and emulating, but that was paving the way for the genre of teen movies, especially for like teen girl movies. Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, if if you compare a movie like Booksmart to mm-hmm. Easy A, like we're clearly still making leaps and bounds and we clearly still have issues to address like we're mm-hmm. we are you know things are changing rapidly though and it is interesting to see how it is reflected in this genre particularly oh absolutely we were talking about this um i mean so yes olive as a character makes a lot of references to john hughes movies i mean there's even like the the pocket full of sunshine montage which is so goddamn iconic um you know she's in the shower doing like the ferris bueller thing um it ends with her doing the the breakfast club there's also the say anything moment outside like Mm -hmm. there it's it is just like hammering you with like hey remember these references kind of thing but Easy A has the heart of all of those movies, but took a massive step forward in perfecting like what these teen movies were trying to do. Because does Easy A have its problems? Yeah, of course, every movie does. Is it as like wildly problematic as like Sixteen Candles? God no. Oh, dear Lord, no. God. And like she is, she has this little thing where it's like, oh, I want all of these John Hughes moments. I I want Jake Ryan. I want Jake Ryan on my birthday. And it's like, oh no, honey, you don't. We both were like, no. And then she follows it up with, I want Judd Nelson to pump his fist in the air because he got me. And I'm like, you don't want Judd Nelson. No, that means you change everything about yourself. No. Uh, yeah. But then again, like, that's kind of what we do with movies. Especially when you're a teen, you like romanticize a lot of these things because you cannot dissect you can't dissect why they're a problem you just feed into like oh well it's it's an 80s movie it's a classic and it just seems really romantic in the way that like romeo and juliet does but romeo and juliet's a hot mess oh yeah character wise yeah (laughs) (laughs) so speaking of characters and problems um we have to talk about living legend amanda Bynes as marianne um i it's not a secret. I love Amanda Bynes. I think that she is so incredibly talented. And I sort of get sad a little bit watching Easy A because it is, to me, just a reminder that had Amanda Bynes had a better support system and if, you know, mental health in this country was not garbage, I think Amanda Bynes would be seen as one of, if not the like premier character actor of our generation. And this is kind of like, this was like her last hurrah before, um, you know, she needed to deal with some personal issues. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just kills me when I watch this movie. Cause I'm like, Oh God, you're so talented and funny. And this is such a great role for you. Cause it's so not the characters she plays. And then everything changed and my heart 
poops its pants. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how I feel. So how do you all feel about Marianne, especially like as a villain? Well, I mean, we just did the Yes, God, Yes episode and talked about religion extensively and sexuality extensively. So it's weird how uh, this all kind of timed up as a one-two punch because <laughs> Yes, God, Yes was like a light minute addition to the schedule. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I spent an entire episode talking about how I'm uncomfortable with religion and how uh, generally this is the kind of character you see in teen girl movies where they are the like detestable, frustrating, unlikable Christian girls. And uh Yeah, that's about where we're at. She is every kind of annoying little religious girl that we see in every teen movie, and I hate her for the right reasons, and I noticed something very strange in this watch of this movie that I didn't notice before, where she she has, like, some sort of queer tendencies in, like, one weird hair-sniffing moment. Oh, yes, (laughs) yeah. Um, so yeah, we were watching this and when the hair sniffing moment happens, we both, I think, did, like just did not remember that happening and we're like, wait. No, a and it's second. like such a subtle thing and it's the only instance of her doing anything like that. So it's like, oh, this just blew up in a whole new world of possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I personally it's that's a very intriguing element, especially in the way that like sex and sexuality is so mixed up with her identity, you know, in terms of the lack of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, I, I dated a Marianne before I came out and that, how did that go? I just, I need to know (laughs) now because uh, I think we talked about this on the last podcast. Maybe we didn't, if I've never talked about this before. Um, So like I collect Amish romance novels. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Because I am, obsessed with these books where it's like i was betrothed to jebediah but i'm secretly dreaming of jeremiah and we (laughs) held hands in the field but i am not betrothed to him and then it's five chapters of guilt like that shit Mm -hmm. is my lifeblood i live it's like the crucible but they're just holding hands oh my yes and then amish hangings it is (laughs) crazy like how these books are and I love them like I'm obsessed with them because I'm so fascinated by people from repressed cultures like I because I I didn't have that life like I was just like what up I'm gay what up I'm a slut and like it was fine yeah you were closer to uh to Olive's parents yes oh god yeah so I'm just fascinated by this world so yes please tell me about your super Christian girlfriend and you being closeted and gay if you're comfortable if not I can fuck off but I am so fascinated (laughs) No, I'm I'm super comfortable talking about it. I obviously will not name any names. Um, but yes, so I dated the daughter of a pastor. So very, very... Oh my God! <laughs> so when you um, date a religious girl, you go like top shelf. Oh, of course. I, I never do anything halfway. <laughs> um, but so th- this, is, this is at a point in my closet- closetedness and or like coming to understanding with myself where I, I was not acquiring her as a beard okay um i am lucky enough that i never felt desperate enough to use someone in that way and i'm glad i don't have that to add to my list of regrets (laughs) (laughs) um but it was incredibly convenient because we we did not touch um well yeah you gotta save yourself for marriage yeah when we held hands while watching a movie it was under a blanket so her parents would not see oh my god i'm obsessed already i hope she's thriving somewhere but i feel like 
she might be like a MAGA person if she's religious. But anyway, um, I'm judging. Actually, I'm like I'm projecting <laughs> out at, towards the end of high school, our relationship got very, very sour. But very recently, actually, like within the past month, um, she actually did reach out to me to apologize for the way that she treated me. So I think she's doing okay. Aw, well, that's, well, that's nice. nice. That's a much happier ending than what BJ was assuming happened. Ew, I hate that we just said like the exact same thing and the exact same inflection. Hey, we've been married <laughs> and we've been stuck with each other holed up in a basically a bunker for eight months. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. Well, I am glad that she that she reached out. I think that that's nice. That's a lot better than um. All right, so I had I have a Christian story. Okay. And this is a Christian story that has only been told. Uh, I told it at a speaking event. So this is a new podcast, and this is, this is like top uh, tier BJ's hot mess life story. I love this story so much. <laughs> All right, so as we know, I was a floozy. As we know, I had a phase in high school where all I wanted to do was sing. So I did join like a youth group for a hot minute because I. Sp- specifically wanted to sing in the youth band because I wanted to sing on a stage. Yeah. That's really all there was to it. Um, I was also dealing with some like, you know, weird queerness. So I was like, "Ah, I'll date this guy. So I dated this guy and, you know, we did for however long, like like eight months, whatever. Break up. Don't think about this kid ever again because why the fuck would I? I get a phone call like 10 years later. And I look at my phone and I recognize the area code is from, you know, back home. And I look at the number and I was like, God, that number looks really familiar, but I don't know who it is. So I answer the phone. And on the other end, I just hear. (laughs) Always a good start to a phone call, right? (laughs) Like always great. And I'm just like, hello. And you just hear this girl go, um, so uh, I'm looking for Brittany Jade Colangelo. Here's the thing. If you know my full ass name, like I'm immediately scared because like the only people who call me by my full name are people from my past or people that are like related to me or like I'm in like it's a debt collector. Like there's something Mm -hmm. happening. So I'm not going to obviously use his name, but she was like, um, I'm just wondering, um, do you know, um, somebody named easily corruptible Christian boy? And I was like, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I haven't heard that name in a long time, but yeah, why? And she goes, well, um, we're, we're getting married tomorrow. And then like immediately, like all of like the color just washes out of my body. She's like, and, um, I just need to know if like, you still have like a piece of him with you because, and she's just like hyperventilating. And I was like, slow down. What, what is going on? As it turns out. After we broke up, he, you know, once again found Christ. And As Christ, Christ granted him um, a restoration of his virginity. And mind you, I was not a virgin when I met him. I did take his virginity. But after, like, two months of him begging me, and I was like, I don't know if you want to do that, because, like, you're super into Jesus, and I feel like you're going to regret this. And he's like, I swear I won't. And I was like all right. And like, it was like two months of me saying, I don't think this is going to be good for you and him insisting. And then finally I was like, fine. And like, we had sex and it was fine. And it's whatever. I didn't think anything of it. Did he swear to God that he wouldn't regret it? He swore to God. He <laughs> Did would not he actually? It. Yes. Holy shit. And guess what? 
he clearly regretted it because he got saved again or whatever. And then this motherfucker lied to this poor girl for three years about being a virgin. And then the night before his wedding, the guilt caught up with him. And after their rehearsal dinner, he told her that he wasn't actually a virgin and she freaked out. So like, I'm not a monster and I'm talking to this poor girl. And I was like, Hey, look, you know, clearly I don't mean anything to him. He found God again. You know, he clearly wants to be with you and he cares enough about you to like come clean with you about this. But I assure you, like there is, he, there's nothing with him that are like with me that's you know part of him like none of that like he is you know long gone I did not come out to her because I don't know if like she would have exploded had like that happened I think but, I, but then I was like mm, by the way is easily corrupted little Christian boy with you by chance I would love a word with him and she's <laughs> like oh of course yes so I was super nice to her and then the second he got on the phone I was like first of all what the fuck second of all why do you have my number third of all why did you lie to her and he was like I don't I, I don't know and I was like you're a real piece of shit I hope you know that he's like I, I know I was like you're not a piece of shit because you had sex with me you're a piece of shit because you lied to this girl for years and now you're putting me in this fucked up position i was like you suck and all i will say is on his wedding day he had a massive pimple on the side of his face and i like to think that was the universe being like that's what you get for putting your ex in this weird situation the night before your wedding that's how i feel holy shit it is like one of the most insane things that's ever happened to me in my life. And like, they're still married and they seem happy. They get matching pajamas for Christmas every year. Like they're oh. those people. Yeah, The, the sign of true happiness. Yes. <laughs> my God. Like good for them. Happy to have helped. But like, good God. <laughs> it was the fucking worst. Good God indeed. <laughs> Jesus tells us to love Everyone. I mean, even the whores and the homosexuals, but it's just so hard. I don't have any fun religious stories about people I dated. Oh. That's probably a good thing. (laughs) You know, probably. Now that we've dived into all of our Christianity. Actually, no, Brennan, I cut you off. You keep talking. (laughs) I do have an appendix to this story, to my story. Oh, God, yes. Yes, please. Um, So her dad was a pastor. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Went one time for we were at some sort of group outing for like somebody's birthday party. We were in freshman year of high school. No one had a car. Like no one was doing any kind of shit. Like whatever. Um, but we had in and out for lunch before going to this party thing. Um, but yeah, so her her dad forced her to order onions on her burger so she wouldn't want to kiss me because her breath was gross. Did it work? I mean, didn't want to kiss her, so it was fine. <laughs> Um, we did, we kissed exactly once and then she went on a summer trip to Washington DC for six weeks. It was, it was really the perfect, the perfect training wheels. I'm not actually straight relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I just, the, I'm still on the onions thing because like that is, that is some like very protective father shit if I've ever heard it. Cause it is just bananas. Yeah, the, the, it was. They were a, they were a whole a whole package. It was it was a lot yeah. to handle. Yeah. Um, but yes, it lot. when I came out, not a great time for a while. I can only imagine. How did she take it? Uh, not great because the guy I was dating was someone she also had had a crush on. 
Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, for her, not for you. I guess she has a type. No, she does because she then dated a gay guy for like two years. So don't. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, so here's the thing. I actually, I know a couple of girls who were like really religious who dated some guys who ended up being gay. I mean, it didn't end up. They were always gay, but like, eh. They seem like That's the best, most chaste Christian boys, and they'll be the most faithful and pleasant. They're like Chrisley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Chrisley. Well, the opposite of Chrisley, because um, that's how I'm transitioning this. Um, we got to talk about Penn Badgley. Let's talk about Woodchuck Todd, which I love that he's credited as Woodchuck Todd. It's so adorable. <laughs> it's it's so funny. It's, it's much more endearing than, say, you know, the lumberjack of 16 Candles. Woodchuck Todd is cute. I wish it was like Woodchuck slash Lobster Todd, personally. Um, but Lobster Todd is his day job. Okay. Woodchuck Todd is his passion. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we how do we feel about Woodchuck Todd? Uh, I like Woodchuck Todd. I think he's a little, a little plain. Like we don't see him very much, but I do really like that he exists as a character in the flashback of their like what I guess it would be like seven minutes in heaven kind mm-hmm. of excursion. Because he's clearly intimidated by kissing. He's clearly intimidated by Olive because she talks like a grown-up. Mm-hmm. And it really just sets this precedent of like, okay, she just doesn't want boys to feel bad. It's not her job to, but she's just, I don't know. She she doesn't want like dorky nice boys to be have their feelings hurt or force them to do anything, which is very nice. It's very pleasant. Uh, and I guess that like pays off in the long run because, you know. It returns in spades with with love and lawnmower rides. <laughs> so what a dream! Yeah, I think I think Todd is a very he, he's a good boy. He's very passionate about his school spirit, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. He just seems like real hype about everything. He's a little, I guess he's a little one dimensional in that thing, but he's like you know the, the he's the 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 boy candy. He's not really a fully developed character. He's just what you expect a nice boyfriend to be like, I guess. Yeah, totally. I and mean, he's really barely in it. Like, right? Yeah, he really is. I like to think of, like, Todd is, like, kind of the perfect first boyfriend. Like, he's the guy you date when there's really no one else in your hometown because, like, he's super nice and he's very unassuming and you can have fun together and go on adventures. But ultimately, you will leave Todd for someone a little bit more interesting. Yeah, totally. And, uh... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but also, I, I do think that he is the closest she's going to get to someone who can converse with her on her level because they do yes. have oh, yeah. some nice repartee as well. Like his his wit and sarcasm is is sharply honed as much as hers. I yeah. like to think of Todd, and I, I hate doing like the parental comparisons, but how like Stanley Tucci is like off the fucking wall at all times. I think that Olive is very much like that and about how her, her mom sort of is like the alley-oop to Stanley Tucci's like slam dunk. I think that's how Todd is with Olive. Like he sets her up a lot and then she just like gets it back. So there's, it's a, it's a nice volley. They definitely work off of each other, but you know, Olive is, Olive's the top in that relationship all day. Oh, yeah, of course. She, she needs someone on her level and Todd's good enough for now. He's, 
He's a lot smarter than everyone else in her school, and mm-hmm. uh, that is sufficient for the time being. But she's going to need someone who can like go toe to toe with her snark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can. He can at least speak her language. And one day she'll find someone who can do that and also fuck real good. Yeah, yeah, she will, <laughs> and it will probably be in college. And then she will find somebody even better in her 20s, because that's usually how life works. Are you speaking from experience? Uh, Might be. Might be. But I made (laughs) way worse decisions after college. I made terrible decisions after college, because guilt is a hell of a drug, my friends. It will make you do a lot of dumb things. Um, So I kept kept Rhiannon, um, best friend Rhiannon, towards the end because I think she kind of gateways into a lot of the themes in in this movie so Rhiannon is that like out of control friend that I think a lot of us have who's just like high energy who's just kind of kind of like doing whatever they want but also that friend you have that you kind of fucking hate mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes and I think that like that's such a teenage thing and maybe it's just because, like, proximity or whatever, but I definitely remember having, like, that one friend in high school where I'm just like, you're a fucking mess, and I'm exhausted by you, but, like, I love you, you're my best friend. And, like, I would defend the shit out of you if I needed to, but also, like, I kind of hate you. I don't know if I'm alone on that island or not. You are not. Absolutely um, I had, actually, it would have probably been about the year this came out, I had a friend that I made um, after high school, based purely on the fact that after I came out as trans, I did not have a lot of friends to hang out with. And I fucking hated her. <laughs> she sucked. But uh, it was uh, very much like a relationship like this, where she was super wild and would just like say bitch all the time, but not in an mm-hmm. endearing way, which is also a weird line in this, where it's like, what, bitch is a term of endearment. And I'm like, oh no, honey, not yet, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it was kind of like that. She would be like, oh my god, I just want to party, and I want to listen to TikTok by Kesha on loop for hours. And all of these like incessant things, I would go, could, could we not? Could, could we not do that? And she's like, can I drive your car? I go, no, I live in a very delicate ecosystem where... I need my car, otherwise I can't get to work, and then I die. And she's like, no, no, it'll be fine. I'm like, okay, once. And then she went and drove it on the highway and cut across from the left lane across three lanes of traffic to get to an exit, and I made her pull over and was very mad at her. Wow. That sounds incredibly stressful. It was. Her dad was a lawyer, and they were divorced, and she went to live with mom, who had less money, but that's okay, because she got dad's money. And I'm stressed out and exhausted just listening to that. Yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of my relationship with, with good old big tits here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's definitely a firebrand. She she cuts her her own way through the world. And uh, again, another character that really vanishes after the first act. She pops up every now and again, you know, joining the mm-hmm. very like Christian coalition against her. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's... This time I was a little more interested in kind of parsing out what her character is doing because I think it's interesting that like the second she's challenged, like the second she's not the top in their friendship, she is out. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And I think that's that's definitely a thing. Like I think people exist in these invisible hierarchies with the power dynamics in their friend groups. And she's definitely that person that's like does not do well not being in control so therefore like being you know in charge and being on top and once that's out it's like nope i'm i'm done with this now because i'm uncomfortable in any other power position yeah which is super weird like i guess 
Like, she was very excited when she found out her identifier was big tits, and she's like, oh, great, this is probably one reason everyone, like, pays attention to me, amongst other reasons, because, you know, she's hot, and she's loud, it's hard not to notice her, Mm -hmm. but as soon as it's like, oh, more people are paying attention to Olive, then she removes herself from the equation, and then she just, like, I guess, enemy of my enemy is my friend, because she's from a, like, extremely liberal, weird, naked hippie household, but then she goes and hangs out with the Christian kids, so... Her characterization's a little weird there. I don't I'm, I'm I don't quite pick up on on where we're going with that. It's one of the strangest moments of the movie for me, I guess. Well, I mean, look, I I I, I sorry, I I will say my very brief two cents cuz as a cis man, like this is not my forte. Um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but um the the thing that I was thinking about in with her character this time is that she is using her um, the fact that she's more promiscuous than Emma Stone, like as a sword at first, um, to like wield her power to show like, oh, I, well, okay, I, I, sorry, I think what is happening with her character is showing the two sides of that dichotomy of how like high school girls and sex are viewed, um, mm-hmm. because she's cooler and more promiscuous than Olive, she gets to wield that and you know, assert her power in that way. But then when she is suddenly less promiscuous than Olive, she has to switch it around and use that as her power to stab at Olive, essentially. And kind of go, well, well, I haven't done what you've done. Like, you're way worse than me. So we're, you know, you've gone too far along the spectrum. You, you, you know, there's such a thin line of, you know, on the, I guess what you call virginity spectrum of like how far you've gone with another person. Mm-hmm. And she exists like right in that space where she's still allowed to interact with other people, like on on either end of that spectrum. Yeah, I guess. I mean, she's playing by the rules of like, I guess, high school sluttiness or whatever the the spectrum would be labeled as, where she's only like making out with boys and like being promiscuous, but she's not doing anything like really bad. I mean, Olive's not either, but you know court of public opinion i suppose yeah yeah i i think it's just like depending on where on the scale you are like i think that's just how the perspective changes on what that character like i don't know what what position she is on that spectrum i think rhiannon is just she's definitely a girl that i i i know her like intimately know this kind of person um because there absolutely is a spectrum like Rhiannon is the girl who dresses a little bit more provocatively, who kind of owns her sexuality. And the problem is a character like Rhiannon knows that there is power in the tease, so to speak. The thrill of the chase? Yes, the thrill of the chase, absolutely. Um, So that way, in her mind, it's like, I, you know, you, you get the attention, you get kind of that confidence boost. You know, she does have the confidence. Um but she's not actually doing anything. So she's exhibiting the exact same like power structure as Olive is, but the difference being like, because you know, we know that Olive isn't doing anything, but everyone else thinks that she is. So that's where like that shift happens. Like if, if all, if people thought that Olive was just doing what Rihanna's doing, I think they would have been fine. But because, you know, you're, you're right, she crossed that line, that invisible line that exists, where, I mean, after, 
you know, Rhiannon is the first one who hears the lie of like, oh, I slept with George, which I secretly hope is a Brady Bunch reference that like the fake invisible, <laughs> not real boyfriend is George. Um, because I just sure Jan all day. It's my favorite. Um, <laughs> but Rhiannon is like, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And then after the fake sex with Brandon, then she's like, you're out of control. So like, she's kind of that litmus of like, I was cool when you had like this, the sex with this guy that like you were sort of dating who's I guess a friend of someone you know but I'm not okay with you having sex with this gay guy at a party like now you've gone too far also I think what's interesting is that she really liked it when she thought that Olive slept with the college boy and no one knew about it mm-hmm. I think she's like respects like the, she respects people who like sleep with things, but you gotta you gotta keep that on the down low. You can't just do it at a party in front of everyone because then everyone knows that mm-hmm. you're like a floozy or whatever. She's like, oh no, you have to keep it to yourself. We can't actually talk about sexuality in any way. Which that's that's internalized misogyny all day, and that's the kind of messaging that we feed a lot of a lot of girls. Like we talked about that, you know, last week with with yes god yes and masturbation where it's like girls don't do that girls don't masturbate girls don't poop like mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff and i think that's i think you're right i think that's where rihanna is like you can have sex don't fucking tell me what you're doing you're well, especially to because like she's also like doing things like making out with lobster todd who uh she knew olive had a crush on forever so she's being a bad friend but also <laughs> she's like doing it on the down low yeah well and also well yes it's that but also i feel like she likes Olive's sexuality when it belongs to her um, uh-huh. and not when everybody knows about it. And thus everybody knows that she is, you know, like now that she's kind of like swapped with Rhiannon on the social hierarchy of sex, it, it's a, it's a matter of, it doesn't belong to her anymore. Like it has been taken away from her and she kind of lashes out. I feel you're starting to get a reputation and you're coming off as a little pious. You're kind of pissing me off a little more than usual. I'm sorry if I think it's a best friend's duty to let her know that everyone, and I do mean everyone, is calling her a dirty skank. Well, do you think I'm a dirty skank? You know, I I didn't want to believe it, but I guess it's true. That is your identifier. <laughs> and you're a jealous virgin. I, I agree, and mm-hmm. I think that that exchange is really, really a good example of, you know, what I think is the really complicated part of sort of the the legacy of EZA 10 years later, because we also have to keep in mind that, like, EZA is, like, pre-Me Too. It's pre, like, the real big wave of, like, we need to stop slut-shaming. Like, it's, it's really ahead of its time in that regard, but the conversations and the way that we talk about these subjects has changed so dramatically in 10 years. And there's an article uh, by, I may be mispronouncing this writer's name, um, Shania Russell or Shania Russell um, from Flipscreened, who wrote this article called 10 Years Later, Easy A Grapples with a Complex Legacy. So pretty much like how I've been describing this movie this whole time. Um, But in it, the author says... For a movie that advocates empathy and condemns the double standard, EZA has plenty to say about sexually active women, but most of it's negative. In the initial confrontation with her best friend Rhiannon, Olive denies having sex, stressing that she's not that kind of girl, and then that's a thread that continues to follow throughout the film. Um, The author goes on to talk about how, like, 
you know, Todd still likes Olive and when it's like, well, why would you like me when all these things are being said about me? And Todd's like, because I know you're not that kind of girl, so why would I believe that? Um, so then therefore, you know, Olive is still somebody worthy of, of being liked. And then the only other like really sexually active characters that were seen is Olive's mom towards the end where she talks about how, you know, she slept around a lot in high school, but then, you know, had really low self-esteem and then met her husband and everything was great, which sort of gives this weird messaging of like, if you're an over-sexualized girl, um, you probably have low self-esteem and you just need that one man to fix you. Like that's kind of like questionable sort of storytelling. Um, and then the only other overtly sexually active female character is Lisa Kudrow, who's Mrs. Griffith, who is then described as pure evil because she's fucking a student and cheating on her husband and giving him chlamydia. She's pure evil because her husband is a very nice man. I know, he's great in George of the Jungle. Yes, and also he's one of the only good things about Spider-Man 3. <laughs> um, so that's where like the, I think the legacy of EZA gets complicated in that you know, it, it ends with with Emma Stone looking into the camera and saying, like, you know, maybe I'm going to have sex with this guy in five minutes or tomorrow or in six months or our wedding day. And it's nobody's business. Like, who cares? And it's like, yeah, that's a great message. But also, <laughs> this entire movie basically was like, we need to end slut shaming, but, like, our lead character isn't a slut. So it's like, she's allowed to be the pillar of this anti-slut shaming emotion but like don't worry she's not like a real slut like she's just pretending to be a slut it's and hedging its bets yes 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 very much so so that's where i think my feelings get a little complicated because i watch this and i'm like oh god what a great step we made with this movie but oh god what a far far away we we have to go yeah absolutely i mean even with the acknowledgement that yes 2010 was a much different world like Yes, if this script had been written by a woman, would it have much more <laughs> nuance and understanding of this character? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, of course, you know, depending on the woman. Um, also true. But Very true. For what it is giving us and for where it came from, I think it's doing a better job than you could reasonably expect from it. Absolutely. And I think that's why this movie is so beloved because I think we look back on it and we're like, God damn, they like really kind of knock some doors down with this. Like they mm -hmm. really came out swinging. That's great. Um, and it's just only in hindsight that we look at it and we're like, oh no, the, you know, there's some work that could be done here. But you know, that's every movie. That's every single movie that exists. I mean, I like to believe in the good nature of Easy A and that if it was possible for a movie to grow like a person, it would have grown with by now, you know? Yeah, like... If it is possible for a movie to, you know, look back at itself and re-edit itself, delete its old tweets, I think Easy A would have done that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I feel like Easy A is that movie that, like, takes, a like, a women's lib class in, in freshman year gen ed class, and it, like, changes their whole fucking life. Like, that's what I think happens, is it's like, oh, oh. Because when you, when you're a, a teenager, as, as liberal and progressive and open-minded as you possibly may be, you are still being hammered with a lot of social messaging. So it makes kind of complete sense to me that Olive is kind of dealing with both sides of that coin of like, I'm not ashamed that people think that I'm a slut, but I'm also like not actually a slut. And I love that 
the you know it's it's all about the idea it's all about the allure nothing's actually happening and then the one moment where somebody does try to do something like she she defends herself and it's 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 a hard scene to watch because i think that that is one of the more relatable scenes like that one's super relatable and then after the fake sex with brandon when he leaves the hallway and everyone cheers for him and then everyone looks at her like she's a goddamn leper um those two moments like gut punch me a little bit because i'm just like oh oh i know that feeling oh Mm -hmm. that's a bad feeling um so i think it does a really good job at pointing out those those double standards um i think if i if i could change anything i wish that there was a character who was like a legitimate slut that like maybe was there to like kind of not not guide olive through it but even if it's somebody who's just like been there thanks for taking the heat off me for a little bit and sort of like well how do you deal with it and it's like like this and you know talking about like existing through the world as a woman like having another woman for olive to talk to about that sort of stuff i think would have been beneficial but um harmony and i talked about that off mic yeah and uh (laughs) how did you explain like how that would work or wouldn't work? Um, I mean, I was trying to figure out what a character like that would look like and kind of going off of like a John Hughes thing. I imagine that that character would exist sort of like a female Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller. So it'd probably just be like Tracy Lords in Crybaby. <laughs> like, like that's who it would look like, but this character would act like Charlie Sheen and then talk about sex, maybe not at a police station, but that kind of interaction I feel like would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, just just maybe like outside Ms. Griffith's office, like the other school slut is just like, times are tough, right? Like, I don't know, like something like that I think would have been really nice to have because, I don't know, I wish that there was somebody who was like, yeah, Ms. Slut, what's up? Like, and just that, like somebody who's like legitimately and overtly sex positive who's actually having sex. Yeah, and I think what we're hitting on here is that EZA is a much better film about the double standard than it is about sex positivity and slut-shaming. Yes. Yes, 1,000%, yes. And I love that Olive leans in to that sort of reputation because I'm definitely that asshole. (laughs) Um, Like, it it makes me think of um, a quote from one of Harmony and I's favorite movies, Bit, where it's like, you know, you know, if they're going to say that we're monsters, then let's be monsters. And that's kind of how I feel a lot about, about Oliver. It's like, oh, you're going to say I'm a slut? Okay, yeah, then we're going to go there. We're going to do it. Oh, God, that scene, though, where she, like, comes back to school and she's got these, like, risky business sunglasses on and her eyebrows are on point and she's wearing a corset for and the first time. And it's playing sexy silk. Ugh, great. Oh, God, that that coming out, like, reveal is so nice and she looks so fucking cool. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I love the... I, I'm a sucker for the, the hallway walk scene. I think that they're great. Um, and I think that she gives a really good one, especially, like, the ooh burn. Like, what? This movie's so gifable too. Mm-hmm. Ugh. What, like, I hate that that's become like a, a standard of like, what movie is staying the test of time? Can I gif the shit out of this? Yes, then it will be popular. Yes, exactly. And also, the, I mean, just one thing on the hallway walk. I think it's our, our little California adaptation of the stairway walk. Um, oh, yeah. We don't have the <laughs> stairs, honey. <laughs> 
the hallway walk is so much more like exciting than the stairway walk. The stairway walk is kind of like virginal and majestic. The hallway walk is like you're strutting because you can't strut downstairs. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah, you try, would just trip. You would fall. Yeah, there's a lot more power in the hallway walk. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. Yeah, hallway walks tend to be like like Jawbreaker or The Craft or Ginger Snaps or Jennifer's Body. Like they are bad bitch moments. Stairways are like, I'm presenting myself to the world. Oh, I'm glad that, we live on the first floor. That's a good point. Yeah, a, a stairway walk, the stairs are a stage and you are meant to be the object that is stared at. In the hallway, yes. you are moving through the space. You are owning the space. Yes, you are demanding that people look at you. Because, like, I whenever I think of, like, the stairway, obviously it's, like, she's all that is the big one. But then I think about, like, Titanic, right? Yeah. And I think about, like, Kate Winslet, like, just, like, drapesing down the stairway. And, you know, you get that shot of Leo looking at her so lovingly. And it's like, that's what stairways are supposed to be. And then you, th- I think about Hallway, my first one, I always go to Jawbreaker because it's got fucking Yoo-Hoo and just, <laughs> you know, Rose McGowan just stomping. And, yeah. Oh, that's a fun thing we learned here on this episode. I want to write a essay about this now <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for bringing up that point that's amazing what a great trip we just had here anytime but yes I'm, I'm, I'm here to uh in relief um show your intelligence <laughs> thank you you make us feel so much smarter than we actually <laughs> but are. i've just been sitting here stammering like blah 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 slut blah, blah, for like an hour now um <laughs> But no, like, that's, see, and the thing with Olive, and she's so cool, is, like, that hallway walk, that's, like, that's the energy I want to have as a person, where it's, like, oh, someone will come up and, like, say something, cool, you have the perfect retort, like, already there. You are untouchable. And then, like, if you're going to be sexy and some guy doesn't understand your reference, just be, like, uh, look it up. And then, like, you still (laughs) maintain your composure. Like, I want to be that cool. I'm not that cool. I'm more so hurt, like... The lobster shack mumbling and talking about like rhinoceroses making your penises bigger, which they don't. Oh my <laughs> God. That, that's my kind of charm. Well, see, and that's why Olive is so relatable too. It's because, I mean, who who hasn't been that person? Nobody here, clearly, by the yeah, silence. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking, I was like <laughs> have I ever been that cool? Actually, no, there, there are a few times in my life when I'm like super cool that I know that I'm cool. And it's specifically when I find moments in life to use. Um, so I have a running list of quotes from movies that I want to be able to use in real life. Um, classics like, fuck you, that's my name, which I have used. <laughs> it's a good one for me. Eat shit and live, which I've used. And the one that I was the most proudest, because like it's such a weird one. I love the movie Home Alone 2, for obvious reasons. Um, but my favorite line in the whole movie is suck brick kid. (laughs) And cause it's so funny and like, what a fucking line. And, uh, I told myself, I was like the day that I get to use this line, like in public, like not trying to be presentational, but just like use it as a comeback is the day I hit my peak. And that day happened about four years ago now where I was getting like just completely harassed outside of a bar by this guy and he wouldn't leave me alone. And then one of my friends called for me, and obviously my name is BJ, and that like signals something primal in the brains of a lot of men where they're just like, and that's all they can think about. 
So he, he like yells at me and he was like, BJ, huh? Well, you know what? I got something real nice that you can suck. And like the light connected in my brain and I just turned around and with the most like powerful energy I ever have exuded in my life. I was just like, suck brick kid. And then turned around and walked away. And like, it was one of those moments where like, of course everyone outside of the bar was like, Oh, and like being loud or whatever. But I walked away and I was like, I will never be that fucking cool again in my life. And then you had your sick like hallway walk. And then I had my hallway walk down Detroit Avenue, like a bad bitch. Yeah, I'm. That's my peak. I'm done. Like it's been all downhill for since. Why'd you peak before we had a podcast? I don't know. I mean, I don't think ahead. I I really respect that you draw your power from Macaulay Culkin. Right. I draw my power from yet another Chicago-based movie. Well, that one's New York-based, but you know, you you get it. You get it. He's a Chicago kid. He he technically. He technically is, yes. I checked the rule book, yes. I checked, checked the rule book. It doesn't say that a dog can't play basketball, so I guess we're fine here. I also, like, and this is going to be a tangent that's probably going to lead to another tangent, but I kind of don't care because that's what we do on this show. I, like, we were talking earlier about, like, kids not understanding that, like, the world was different in, in different time periods. And, like, since the internet, like, things have been moving faster and faster. I, like, lost my mind the other day and just broke my brain when it was, like, kids are discovering that Catherine O'Hara on Schitt's Creek is also Kevin's mom in Home Alone. Yeah. And then I had to sit there and go, BJ, what has she really done in, like, the last... 20 years that they would know her from and you're like well she's in all these things i'm like those are all the 90s i know and then i was like and no one's gonna show like gen z christopher guest films and everything else has been voiceover work and oh my god i'm a thousand years old but that's okay it is okay that's okay I'm, As... I'm allowed to be old now yeah you're the oldest one in this conversation congrats you made it I guess. I guess that's a good thing. I guess I guess it's good to be old. Um, I don't know, but I, I have this, like, thinking about sort of revisiting films and reassessing them. Something that I like about it, though, is, you know, we're able to look at this film, which we've admitted, you know, does have its issues, does have its things that can clean up. But ultimately, it's like, I still love this movie. I still enjoy this movie. I would watch it again. I... You know, now I want to do more studying on it. I think that it's really ripe for a lot of analysis and I think it's really impactful. So ultimately, like, I'm curious for for both of you, like, you know, what was this movie's like lasting impact on you? Like, what what are your big takeaways from it? I mean, this is totally mainly because we haven't talked about this yet, but I do want to be a parent in the way that Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson are parents to oh how have we not talked about them already yeah you know i've just been like talking around them but yes let's dive into them they're because they're great so keep 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 on going on this train sure just the like the the relentlessly kooky very smart but um like just that whole aspect of them they're they're parents that are that exude like intelligence and weirdness and warmth but also the thing i really really respect about them is the absolute trust and faith that they have in their daughter mm-hmm. um, yeah that's really nice even when they don't know exactly what's going on with her they're worried about her they know that she's going to be able to 
handle herself and make the decisions that will get her out of her situation and just trust her to, you know, do that and step in to help when they know that she needs it. Olive, do we need to have the talk again? No, it's just a thing that's going around. You know, nothing you're saying is making me feel any better. Not to mention how you've been dressing the last few days. No judgment, but you kind of look like a stripper. Mom! A high-end stripper. For governors or athletes, but stripper nonetheless. Oh my god, I'm just trying to mix it up a little. And I have no STDs, I promise you. That's great. Daughter of the year. They also don't pry either. Not at all. Which I think is really a nice thing to see because I don't think, like... Frequently, movies will have a character like Olive who, you know, might be going through something and then it's suddenly like, I magically have to do laundry right now. Oops, now let's have a heart-to-heart about it. Um, and they, they don't do that. They don't pry into it. They just sort of, you know, it, let her exist with that trust, which I... Oh, it's such a it's such a relief. And I know we talk about, like, my parents a lot on this podcast, but it's because I got very lucky and that I have very great parents. And my parents didn't really pry into my shit either. Like even when I was doing things that they clearly knew were like not good behavior and when I was kind of acting out and having sex and you know, whatever, they knew that it was happening, but it was never something that we like overtly were like, so I'm gonna go get drunk and fuck someone today. Like it wasn't like that, they were just like, we trust you to make good decisions. Make and good to, choices. Yeah, we trust you to, like, take care of yourself and make good choices. So, like, it's none of our fucking business. And it was such a nice upbringing. So when I see something like EZA and all of my friends gravitated, like, oh, my God, I wish I had parents like that. I always have this moment of, like, happiness where it's like, I did have parents like that. But then, like, deep sadness of, like, Oh God, like no one had parents like that and everybody deserves to have parents like that. And I'm so sorry for your childhoods. Oh God. So we, I think we talk about this in like every episode where we talk about the parents, but I'm like always a sucker for any movie or any show where like the parents are really nice. Like they're just really good and very happy at being parents. And I feel like these are like the top tier like teen movie parents like I cannot think of anybody who's better and like more uh, more loving and like more uh, and funnier and they really don't again yeah you're right they don't pry in Olive's life they tend to just be like okay well she'll come to me when she needs to talk and that's great like they have moments where she's just like yeah uh, if you have rumors uh, around town that I have chlamydia don't worry they're not true and they're like do you have chlamydia? And she's like, no, no. I mean, no, no, don't worry about it. And they're like, well, I mean, you have been dressing like a stripper for a couple days, which also means this movie takes place over like the course of like a week, which is strange, (laughs) which I didn't notice that like, and I noticed so many little things about this movie when I was like watching it this time, like the hair smelling or um, like the one kid with the really hairy back, like that she is talking to at the pool. Like he sits down and pulls chocolate out of his pocket, despite just getting out of the pool. Um, like, there's weird, these weird little things about this well, movie. Well, she got so upset about it, and I was like, hey, like he's a weirdo. You don't need to body shame. I'm like, I'm not like, body shaming him. It's just you were in the pool with chocolate in your pocket. She's like, I'm judging him for eating wet chocolate. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a situation in that, like, it it's more like the movie being fat phobic, where it's like, of course, he's just carrying around this candy bar, like, in the pool. Right. 
where it's yeah. like it's very cartoonish. But what was like really funny that was like as we were watching the movie, I was like taking her she's kisses out of my pocket because <laughs> I'm a fat piece of shit, and I was like, oh. You weren't in the pool, though. <laughs> That's true. It was not in the pool. Yeah, exactly. But I like, was like, <laughs> I was like, I straight up got pocket chocolate. I can't say shit. But like, okay, so uh, let's let's talk about this hairy back kid for a second. Uh, of 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 a lot of the boys that like she cuts business deals with, I guess for for rumors. Like, uh, we don't see a lot of like their interactions or like the nature of how their their transaction goes down. But like, he's an asshole. Yes. Like he is like definitively an asshole because like there's that interaction where he's like uh well one she, he's conducting business loudly in broad daylight in front of a bunch of other people saying like oh i can pay you which is bad and it really is a great example of how like the rumors of this school immediately blew to blew out of proportion to like ridiculous soap opera degrees but he's like then saying well i don't need your permission which is like so fucking rude and like assholey and entitled and i hate him and like sure there's this sympathy moment where he's like look at me i'm repugnant which is like a good two cent word but dude like you don't look bad you, you look you know hairy and husky and like that's just because you're a teenager you'll grow into something else or whatever and, later in life and trust me there is a space for hairy husky men exactly yeah, yeah, like is. this was we were only a few years removed from like dad bods coming into fashion so mm-hmm. like he would have been just fine but like he was being such a dick and she calls him out on it by saying like hey if you just asked nicely for a date i probably would have said yes mm-hmm. that's that's the the moral truth of it all if you would have just asked nicely if people just asked nicely about things then it would be fine, but nobody does that. Everyone just assumes things, or they're aggressive, or they write mean things about you on the internet. Or in this case, like a bathroom stall, probably. Or a, like a picket sign with like weirdly like fun font. <laughs> <laughs> like I've never seen the word slut look so like fancy. Before. We like bubble letters. <laughs> also, I love that Quizno guy. <laughs> See, but Vine has ruined me. I know I've said this before. Like, because the second the Quiznos guy was there, I was like, I don't even know which way the Quiznos is. Because that goddamn Vine is, like, burned into my skull. But that's one of my favorite moments in the movie where he's just, like, comes up and he's doing his job and being, like, half off or whatever he says. And she's like, go away, Quiznos. And he's like, slut. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) It's so deadpan. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> it makes me think of the one time. So here's a fun fact. Um, I was banned from a Fazoli's in Indiana for a brief period of time. Uh, no, I think you're still banned. I might it's just still the be... Fazoli's isn't there anymore. <laughs> yeah, I might still be banned. Um, because I was at a baton competition and we were getting Fazoli's for lunch. And all I want to say is who puts uh, like a, a glass panel next to an open door. I would like to know because when that happens, then if you're not really paying attention, or in my case, if you don't have your glasses on, you think the glass panel is the opening of the door and not a glass panel. And then you walk into said glass panel. And then the man in the tomato suit outside watches you fall and spill pasta all over yourself and laughs at you and then you run outside and you push him over and then he can't get up like a turtle on his back because the costume is too top heavy and then you get banned from Fazoli's. Oh god so I, I'm, I've always looked for excuses for this to be a thing where uh, I have two different uh, stories about 
uh, mascot violence from Disney World. <laughs> what? Um, so the first one, uh, we went to Disney World as a family when I was five years old. And uh, we, my parents paid for like one of those fancy have breakfast with like the Disney character things that mm-hmm. they do. Yeah. And this was still the era where Roger Rabbit was still a thing and people liked him and he wasn't antiquated and you know, out that like just pushed out by more relevant Disney stuff, mm-hmm. which sucks because Robert Rabbit is like one of the best things Disney ever did. But uh, my dad got into a verbal altercation with Roger Rabbit because apparently Roger Rabbit's big dumb glove hands were just getting in my dad's food and he almost punched this man. <laughs> the second story <laughs> was when we were in high school and uh, this one is a little bit more, uh, this one's a little bit more hands on. That there's Uh-oh. actual physical contact in oh, this God. one. Oh, God. Did somebody fight somebody in a woodchuck costume? Because I would love for that to be. No, it was, uh, it was goofy, actually. Oh, no. Yes. So uh, we were at Disney my, I think it was my sophomore year. I don't remember. We, we went to Disney twice for the marching band to march. And it was either like my sophomore or my senior year. I think it was my sophomore year. And uh, we would go over spring break and we go down there and march in the parade for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you just hang out in Disney for like a the rest of the trip but uh i was you know traveling in a party of people and there was someone who we weren't really friends with but he i don't think he had friends so he uh just was hanging out with us and decided to get really high and just wander around disneyland and he had a great time up until he decided he really wanted to hug goofy and took a running start no and just knocked goofy straight off his feet costumes are so top heavy yes so uh goofy got like just absolutely like whomped laid out like just he was done it was like it was like the water boy like he just bobby boucheted him so hard (laughs) and uh yeah we got scooped up by disney police and they took us to underground disney jail and we had to wait until the band director came and got us out of underground disney jail and we were almost not allowed back as like a school we were almost not allowed back God, could you imagine being banned from Disney for knocking over Goofy? I could never show your face in that, public that's, ever again. Look, if you if you have to get banned from Disney, that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> I mean, I mean, okay, right? No. I mean, I only with the sense that like those costumes are pretty cushy, so he's probably okay. Um, speaking speaking as someone who's dated one of those, I I dated Pluto briefly. <laughs> Okay, is this where I tell you all that um, I briefly had an experience as Tweety Bird? It's fine. It's really you're like a presence... like a Six Flags thing. Yes, you're in the presence of a celebrity. It's fine. <laughs> so yes, you dated Pluto. Please, please continue. Oh, I mean, I, it, it, it's not a big story, but I'm just saying, like, I, I I have a heart connection to those people, and my heart goes out to you. It is a tough job, but also it's still a kind of funny story. <laughs> I mean, it is, and the thing is, like, you, there's a lot of ways to get banned from Disney. Like, we went backstage at Disney, and you get to sit back there with all broken down ride parts, and you have a very nice, like, tour guidey lady be like, hello, welcome to backstage at Disney World. We do not want to ruin the magic for our park guests, so if we see that you have your phone out and potentially might be taking pictures, we will confiscate your phone, and you will not be allowed back in the park ever again. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's very intense and scary. <laughs> And, like, mind you, you see, like, all the mascots back in the back, like, smoking and swearing. And you find out, like, one of the fairies from, like, the Cinderella thing is is a, is a boy. And, like, it's just, it's a, it's a weird mix of things Disney doesn't want you to see. 
Someone's going to be sent to our house now. We're going to be put on a list because you talked about this. Oh, it's a good thing we're moving soon. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They'll never find us. we got to flee the state. <laughs> so, all right. So speaking of like terrifying mascots and things, um, I want to talk about... <laughs> that's, that's a way to do something. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so obviously we know Woodchuck Todd gets his name because he's the school mascot and he's the Woodchuck. And they have that amazing performance at the end where Emma Stone's singing Knock on Wood, so which is... It's so good, and it, like I just look at it, and I'm like, oh, this is why you got to be in Cabaret, baby. Like you, you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, but it's interrupted, you know, by the principal, who's Malcolm Fucking McDowell. Ugh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's such a scary man. And mind you, I think I wa- I put this on at work like a couple weeks ago when it first dropped on uh, Netflix because it was streaming at like the number one thing on the site. Yeah, at the time. it was. It was like immediately popular people shit their pants when it yeah so i watched it i was like oh great and we're watching it and i had this moment where i was like holy shit malcolm mcdowell's in this (laughs) and then we watched it again a couple days ago before this and i went holy shit malcolm mcdowell's in (laughs) yeah it's so easy to forget but every time he's on screen it's it pummels you (laughs) malcolm mcdowell just as a like as an actor as a character as anything like his career baffles me because it's like you were in like one of the most like beloved Stanley Kubrick films. And then you also voice like Disney channel original movies. Like what is happening in, in, in your, what is your agent giving you? Like you just, <laughs> maybe I, it's so his grandkids are like, are happy. Me, you know what? That's true. Cause uh, there are Ozzy a lot of Osbourne. Yes. Did a duet with Miss Piggy as they covered born to be wild, specifically because his kids liked the Muppets. Yeah, that's true. Because they're human beings. <laughs> I mean, right. Who hates the Muppets aside from, one kid I was friends with because he was terrified of puppets and mascots. We should... Oh, my God. Why didn't you Max Keeble's big move him? Oh, God. That would have been amazing. Uh, uh, probably because he was my best friend at the time, and that would have been really mean. Yeah, that's true. I'm a lot meaner than you were. Now, I, like, it's weird, because I was, like, loud, proud, slut, kind of mean, kind of a bitch, and now I'm just, like, way too empathetic, and I care way too much about people's feelings. <laughs> What happened to me? That's a good way to not get canceled these, these days. Is to be a nice, empathetic person. Uh, annoying, right? <laughs> I, it's so I, frustrating. We have to be good people. You have to be nice people. Or there's consequences. Oh I have to care about you and like really want to protect your emotional well-being. Fuck that. Uh, yeah. I I really I I don't have a way to ping pong back from that without seeming callous. So I'm just gonna move forward to something. Um. <laughs> Uh, thematically, I did, I did think of something that like in brief, like this movie's very meta element of like, oh, here are all these high school movie cliches, but we're not going to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think that's the part other than some of the political stuff that is maybe aged the poorest, but especially because most of it comes from the mouth of Thomas Hayden Church's character. And at least in my eyes, like this rewatch, I was like, that performance is not for me. It's, it's very flat. It's very monotone and i just i was not following it this time yeah and i think the other problem that this really has too when it comes to that sort of stuff is those movies hadn't been reappraised in 2010 the way they have been now so it's like getting a double whammy of these are not things that we should be appreciating or pursuing or anything of that ilk Mm -hmm. Um, so it makes it like, it it just highlights how eh 
it is. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That part's not great. Um, but in short, Lisa Kudrow is the son. Her character is, you know, as we have discussed, not the best, but she can do no wrong. Um, yes. And also, the lighting in this movie is ugly as sin. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, every scene looks like it was left in the toaster for too long. <laughs> Now this is all I'm going to focus on because I've not noticed it until now. And I'm going to be like, oh, God. I think it's the swing into the other direction from a lot of the movies of the aughts um, that are like very blue and very Mm -hmm. uh, kind of just everything looks a little clammy. And then it was like, nah, now we're in warm tones. So I. That's my only assumption, is is that's what they were trying to do. This is like that transition of the late 90s where everything was grungy and dark, and then towards the late 90s, it's like, Mambo number five and Steal My Sunshine are big hits. <laughs> Color! Oh, yeah, and, and, and that plus, like, just the, the level that cheap digital photography was at in 2010, it was just not quite where it is now. Yeah, no. When are we going to get a remaster of this? Oh, I can't wait. Bring it on. That would be nice. That would be really, really nice. I would, I would be a big fan of that. So I think that I think we've kind of covered our our bases. We've 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 gone to second base at least with with Olive. So Harmony, <laughs> now is the uh, that's a hell of a transition. Thank you. I pulled that one out of my ass as well. I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> thank you, uh, college improv classes. Um, so Harmony, Brennan has brought Easy A to you, and they're asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, no, or maybe? And depending on your answer, are you writing something back on the note? It is a very large yes. I still love this movie because I've, I've never stopped loving this movie. Like every couple of years, I'll catch it on something and I will tune in and go, oh yeah, no, this movie fucks. It's <laughs> still so much fun. It's still so does funny. Does it fuck or does it just say that it fucks? <laughs> I don't know. Whichever one gets a higher rating. <laughs> Whichever one is a better, on our scale, and my approval, whichever one is, like, the the, the better one. (laughs) But it's, like, Emma Stone is so delightful, and I love her in everything before and pretty much everything I've seen her in since this, which is not everything, because she's in a lot of movies. But I just find her, like, a complete delight, and I really love that, like, the supporting characters, for the most part, are all very, very interesting and have Mm -hmm. moments to shine. The soundtrack is surprisingly, like, it it kind of assaults you with, like, background indie music the whole movie, but also that's really good. Mm -hmm. And just, like, there's really not a ton that I can knock this for. Like, I can critique it if I'm getting into, like, the nuances, but I'm more so would be criticizing it for what it's not rather than what it is, and what it is is very, very solid. The story it is trying to tell is very well done. Beautiful. I agree. I'm glad that it's a yes. Brandon, are you glad it's a yes? Absolutely. Like, again, every, every time I watch it, I do those little parts do snag at me, but it is, like, infinitely rewatchable. It's such a delightful movie. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. I could not agree more. Well, my friends, that takes us out on Easy A. We want to thank you, as always, for listening. Um, obviously, please subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom, doing all of our mini sews, doing our sleepover commentary tracks. Um, we're getting close to the end of the year, so we're going to start putting out those feelers for 
the movies that you want to see. And I'm glad that, you know, we did our initial round of, hey, what do you want to see? And like three people said Easy A and we were like, ah, oh, we will feed you baby birds. <laughs> it is coming. Um, so that's that's really exciting. Brennan, where can people find you and the things that you do and, you know, anything else that you would like to plug? Sure. Um, I do so many things. Um, pretty much all of them I share on my Twitter, which is at It's Raining Brens. Um, the big thing right now is I'm wrapping up a podcast that both of you have been guests on. It's called Welcome to mm-hmm. Prime Time. Um, it is a show that I did for charity, both first for Give Directly, which gave uh, COVID-19 relief to underprivileged families, and then to the Okra Project, which feeds black trans people in need. Um, every episode is brought to you by a donor, and every episode we review an episode of Freddy's Nightmares, the horror anthology show from the 80s hosted by Freddy Krueger. And I have finished the final recording and truly my shoulders can un unknot. It's been a it's a beautiful experience. I just I cannot believe that you you did it because like you said, we've both been on the show and wow that series is a show. It's forty four episodes of a show. Yeah. It, oh, it sure is. And you there's did all it. there's double of that though, because there's two episodes per yeah, there's two stories per episode, so and you, it's like you're getting 88. <laughs> yeah, and you both watch two episodes each, so that's like four episodes each. Oh, God. We oh, God, it. those four episodes were so awful. I'm going to put myself on the cross because clearly we had it the worst. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had Brad Pitt, though, so that was cool. Yeah, I had Dick Miller and no one else, really. <laughs> Look, you that in, as far as like the celebs of season two went, you got lucky. I mean, other than I mean, Morris Chestnut was in one of the later ones, which was very exciting. But beyond that, not not a lot. <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to plug, or is that is that what you what you would like people to be directed to? Um, you can also catch me reviewing more contemporary movies on alternateending.com. I have become a sort of adjunct reviewer there, um, which is super cool, and I've been excited. Their their lead reviewer does not review the shitty Netflix Christmas movies, so I've been kind of playing in that beautiful muddy muddy water. <laughs> so the real question is, did you watch The Princess Switch to I did. Switched again? Oh, yeah, we did, did you too. like it? <laughs> I really did not, and I loved the first one. I, I, we watched it recently. Hey, BJ I, had a lot more fun than I did. Because all I will say is, whoever I put, it'll be coming out for my my. I do recaps of Netflix top ten for whattowatch.com, and it it as of today it is the most watched movie right now. And all I said was, whoever said that Vanessa Hudgens should play. A European version of Sharpay Evans, they deserve a raise. Like that's that's all I will say on that. I, Harmony, where can yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harmony, where can people find you? Um, I I, I do I do things. Uh, mo- most of them you can find on on Twitter, and I not really Instagram. I don't have anything worth sharing on there because I'm not glamorous enough when I'm stuck in COVID. But you can find me at uh, both those things at a. Uh, Velasa Traptor, Velasa underscore trap underscore tour. I've been doing a lot of writing the last couple months that's been places. So <laughs> you can you can find find whatever I'm doing there, I guess. <laughs> that's really that I'm doing a good job of selling myself doing, on that. You're huh? so good at this. Yeah, right. I'm really good at promotion because whenever you're like, where can we find you? I'm like, I don't know, I'm just somewhere else. Just <laughs> you find me here, I guess. <laughs> You can, find, you can find my stuff on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Um, I also wrote an episode of 
It listens from the radio. It's a radio drama podcast, whichever you want to call that. Um, you can find it on Spotify, whatever you get your podcast. But I am also lending my voice to an episode that should be coming out right around this time as well. Um, so feel free to check that out. It's a really fun show. It's really silly and a lot of fun. And I think that you will enjoy it. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. That's where we announce where we'll be doing shows. Um, for the week or, you know, become a patron and you can know the whole month ahead of time. It costs you a dollar. It can, it can change your life, get you nice and prepared. Cause I know some of you out there, you know who you are, uh, get stressed out because you find out on Monday and you're like, ah, I have to listen in by Thursday, become a patron. You'll find out ahead of time. Thanks again, as always to the Sonderbombs for letting us use their title for our theme song. And we will see you next time, friends. Goodbye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.